Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. So anyway, first impressions. One thing I want to share is that I am impressed how young you are. And maybe maybe it's because I'm so old, uh, but I just that's I'm impressed. The second thing is I'm really impressed with your communion supplies. In Kansas City, we have those like things that you take at home and you and when you open it up, first of all, you can't get it open. And then when you do, it tastes like paper and then and the juice tastes like anything except juice. So you're doing well with me. First impression's great because you're so young and you have great communion supplies. So my bar is pretty high. So anyway, so my name, yes, my name is Brad Simpson. Uh, my wife, Marilyn, and I moved to Kansas City in 1988. We had been uh, graduated from college uh, when we were in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, if you've been around a while, which none of you have because you're so young, uh, you might have heard of Tom and Sheila Jones. Uh, we were uh, under the tutelage, you might say, of Tom and Sheila in Springfield in college. Went to campus ministry, worked as a campus minister intern and other internships for the next seven years. And then uh, my last year, I was in Birmingham, Alabama. I had raised my own support. I will tell you that if you ever in a position in anything really, but anytime you're raising money, you know, it's easier to raise money. Like I'll share about a nonprofit I'm involved in here in a bit. It's, it's, it's easier to raise money for something you believe in, but when that something you believe in is yourself, it's a little bit more challenging. And, uh, so, so anyway, uh, my last year of interning, I'd raised my own support and I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, not just because of that, but that was one reason. We just adopted our first daughter. Uh, she was almost one in Birmingham. And so we decided grandkids have started. We are, our families are all in Missouri. So we're going to go to Missouri. So, you know, this is a typical young story, right? No job. You know, you pack everything up on a U-Haul. Uh, the car that we're, our U-Haul was dragging behind it had no dash in it. That was my car. And uh, so we get to Kansas City, we and we start our lives over. And, uh, you know, you ca- I always refer to it as we Beverly Hillbillied it to Kansas City. So, yes. So, anyway, 1988, and then over the years, uh, we've been there, and, we, of course, we both got jobs. Uh, my wife was a special ed degree, uh, so she taught a few years. She started a preschool, actually, at the Kansas City Church and did that for almost 20 years with her, her best friends in the world. So I always said, I have to go to work. You get to go have fun with your best friends. So, but, but anyway, so that's a little bit about me. Um, and uh, I brought a very dear friend of mine, Dave Blankenship, with me today. So, uh, he's, he's, he, yeah, he's, I was going to have him stand up here and be my color commentator, but he didn't want to do that. So, uh, but I'll share a little bit more about our relationship, uh, here in a bit. But, uh, we're going to lo- look at Psalm 90 this morning. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. Um, but before we get into that, uh, I'm nearing retirement, and I've been saying that for several years. In fact, I thought I would be retired by now, uh, but I'm not. But it's hard to retire when you really enjoy what you do and the people with whom you work. And I have the pleasure of having that situation in my life. It's also hard to retire when you're experiencing financial security, 
you know, at my age, um, health insurance is kind of important. Things are breaking that didn't used to break. Um, so, so that's a secure, that's a security blanket, uh, somewhat in and of itself. And the, the wear and tear that puts on me sometimes over, weighs over the enjoyment of work in the sense when what I mean by that is enjoyment of work could keep me there, but sometimes it's more important the fact that I have that security blanket. So, but anyway, the, the, the message that I wanted to share today and the reason I want to spend time in Psalm chapter 90 is when you get towards the time of your life of retirement, you start thinking about a lot of things you don't think about when you're 30. And one of those things is I am two-thirds or three-fourths the way through my life. And it may be even less than that because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So as you get to that point in your life, you tend to think about those things, uh, not just fleeting thoughts, but you end up spending time really thinking. Uh, I used to, uh, I'm, I was in sales for 30 years and I flew all the time. So every, every week I was gone. Uh, so when you're on a plane, you're either watching people trying to do work like this, <laughs> watching a movie now, you can watch movies, right? Or you're thinking. And so I spent a lot of that time thinking. And so as I got older, what I spent my time thinking about was what am I going to do when I retire? I am one of those people that can't just turn the switch off. Uh, I've watched some of my good friends retire recently, and they, they've been able to do that. They've been able to just switch off. I, I'm not work anymore. I don't want to think about, uh, not that I hated my job or anything. I just don't want to think about it anymore. I want to live a retired life. I am not that person, and I know that about myself. And so it's, it's a little bit scary. Um, what I sell or sold for years was very large printing equipment. And uh, it's the kind of equipment that people run day in and day out, all night, three shifts. And so we have technicians that work on that equipment through the night. And, and it's very complex equipment. The equipment, some of it is longer than this room. So uh, this is uh, very large, expensive equipment that not everybody out there buys. So these technicians are very um, savvy. They're, they're very good at what they do, and they're, they're extremely important to our business. And they're all about my age. You go across the country, and the average age of our technicians are almost 60. Well, they're all re thinking about retirement, too. So two guys in Kansas City recently told me that they they both were going to retire in December. And they, they got together and decided not to. And the reason they decided not to is because they have a lot of friends that retire and then died. So there's a little bit of a fear factor uh, in this thing, so... But anyway, what it does make you think about a lot is how am I using my time? How am I spending my time? How am I planning? When I get up in the day, uh, yes, I have my job, but and that's important. My family's all those things are important. But how am I spending that time? And we'll see that Moses addresses that in in, in a way in Psalm chapter ninety here here in a minute. And so my main objective today, or my message is knowing that we have a very brief amount of time when you think of 70, 80, 90 years on the, you know, max, so to speak, on this, in this world. How am I living my life? And I'm, am I living my life reflective of the understanding that my time is a gift? And that how I use that gift and the fact that I live in a country that allows me to do essentially what I want, 
uh, I can go a lot of directions, then what am I taking advantage of that? And so that's what I want our focus to be. Uh, It's kind of as a backdrop. James says in chapter 4, verse 14, says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's sobering. But that is reality. That is reality. I I still think like an 18-year-old but feel like a 65-year-old. So um, I can relate to that. So, but... First of all, just, just sharing to those of us who are disciples, are Christians, we, maybe you've been a Christian a long time, um, as, as you think about your life, it's so easy for us to get into a point in our lives where we live in good habits. And especially if you've been a Christian for a while, you've developed some very good habits. Uh, one of those is today. You, you're here, you're worshiping, you're singing, you're praying. That's a good thing to do. It's a good habit. And potentially, and hopefully you do that at home as well in your own personal time uh, with God. But it's also very easy as time goes by for our Christian life to become extremely mundane and, and become just a habit. Habits are good, but when it's just a habit, that can be problematic. And there's several reasons why that can happen. One I thought of is that it's easy for us to live in the past. When I first became a Christian, I was, you know, bouncing off the walls and, you know, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I got to go tell everybody. And that's the way I lived. I was on a college campus. It was easy to do that. And don't let, you know, anybody that goes to college or you have a kid that goes to college, they say, Mom, Dad, I'm so busy. I had 18 hours. That's a pretty full load. I had tons of time to do what I wanted to. So... Anyway, but we live in the past, I think, often. The other thing is, as we, as life becomes more complicated, kids, job, all these different things, uh, we can become very distracted. We can distract with life, with the career, with all the things that are all of a sudden very, very important. And so church becomes another thing on Rob's list that he has to do this week. And that's, that's a tendency that every person faces, I think. Also, um, when things get complicated, we find, at least I did, especially, I have four children. So I found that it's much easier to live by rules than by really just working things out. It's a lot easier to take a group of people and say, this is what we're going to do, and you're going to stay within these lanes and if you don't stay in those lanes, you're going to get in trouble because you're messing up our, you know, where we're going. Rather than really allowing the, the creativity of people coming up with probably better ideas than you would come up with if you were the leader. And so it's, it's very easy when things get difficult, just stay in your lane. You know, don't, don't get me off track. Don't get the church off track. Don't get your family off track. Whatever that you're talking about, don't get it off track. Just, just follow the rules. And church can become just a bunch of rules. Another thing is that um, when you start living with the fallout of disappointment and hurt, every person in here has been hurt. And it's very likely every person in here has been hurt by somebody in here. You know, I look at my family I hurt my kids, I've hurt my wife, I've hurt my grandkids. It, it's just a given. Didn't mean to all the time. Sometimes I meant to. But it, that's not the case all the time. But the fact is, it happens. And what can 
what can drive us or lead us to the point of living a mundane, safe, secure Christian life is not dealing with that. It's so much easier not to deal with a conflict because it, it causes me to bear my soul and, and it causes me to, you know, I, I, I consider myself a nice guy. But if I'm going to tell you how I really feel, I may not be so nice. I remember my wife and I's first fight 42 years ago. We hadn't, we'd been married nine months, never fought, never fought for nine months. That's pretty good. I thought so. We had our first fight, and my way of dealing with it was I went off on a run. So what that communicated to her, and my wife is, let's deal with this right now. I'm this. If, if you want to deal with this right now, I will rip your face off. You don't want me to deal with this right now because that's how I function. And so I had to go take off and do something to clear my thoughts, to work through things and all that kind of stuff. Of course, she called her mom and said he left me. <laughs> So anyway, so that was, that was another repair job we had to do later. So, but we learned over the years to, we, we were here to meet more in here, but my tendency still is I got to think through things before I respond. And her thing is, let's just deal with it and get through it and, and move on. So anyway, I don't know what that has to do with my point here, but anyway, so but but we have hurt and disappointment, and because of that, we get very protect, protected around our hearts, and so we don't want to get out of those same lanes, the rule lanes. This are, these are different lanes because we don't want to get hurt again, or we don't want to get disappointed again. Well, folks, that is life, and we have to because I guarantee you if we do, we'll be better off and closer afterwards, and it will be painful. But it will be better. And I've seen that personally uh, in, in my life. Um, so what we do with our time, when you think about it, that we have on earth, is we build a legacy on how we use it. And how far that legacy spreads really just depends on your, your surroundings, uh, per se, your church size. You know, we're in a bigger church. Legacy might be bigger just because we have more people. But nevertheless, you may work in a small company. Your legacy may be smaller than if you work in a huge company. It doesn't matter. It is your legacy on how you use your time. Now, those of us who are, might be visiting today or visiting online, um, for you, like for, with this topic, think about this. We are family. Now, I don't know a lot of people here, but I'm still part of your family because I'm part of the kingdom. So, you know, when you think about families, families love each other. They're close to each other. They they just uh, support each other. I mean, how many, if you're a parent, how many soccer games can you go to, right? But you do it because you love your kid. Even if they're the worst kid on the team, you still love your kid, and they love that game. So that's the way families are. But you know what? Families, and I'm kind of dovetailing off what I just said, they also fight. They also pout. And they also are mean to one another. And the fact is that we want you to be part of our loving, fighting, (laughs) encouraging, pouting family. Because it is how families are. And so how we use our time is needs to be towards building 
that family and building those relationships. All right, Psalm Psalm 90. Didn't think we were going to get there, did you? So um, <laughs> Psalm is the first Psalm 90 is the first Psalm that was written. It was written by Moses. It's the only Psalm that Moses wrote. It is the first Psalm in the fourth book of Psalms. It is also about 500 years older than any of the other Psalms. And the backdrop to Moses when he wrote this psalm was was, um, was in Numbers chapter 20. Uh, you don't need to go there, but in Numbers 20, uh, first of all, it starts out where Moses loses Miriam. She dies. Then the, the middle part of, of the chapter 20 is where Moses relents and is down about how he let God down with the whole water thing. You know, the hitting the rock to get the water. He didn't wait on God. And so he's bummed about that. Then the last part is when Aaron dies. So he's had a rough go over that period of time. And in all of that, where does Moses spend a third of his life? Anybody know? In the desert. With a bunch of buddies? A bunch of happy people that loved being together? Not at all. A bunch of complaining, whiny, uh, disrespectful family. So he still was, he, I, I think he probably was close to them, but that had to be one of the most challenging things. And you know, when you think about it, from where they were when they were wandering around, it was about 1,300 miles from the promised land where they were going to go. All right. So just, you know, do a little math. Who, who's the math guy here? Uh, Alex. Okay. So, so two miles an hour. If you walk two miles an hour for eight hours a day, how many miles is that? 16. Okay. So it's 16 miles a day. It would take you about 80 days to walk 1300 miles. Now, if you're a walker, you've been on a treadmill recently, two miles an hour isn't very fast. You know, you can, most of us could probably do that. Or at one time in your life, you could do that like two times over. So, but anyway, if you do the math on 40 years at that same pace, I mean, it's like 14,600, let's see, I got it here somewhere. Oh, 14,600 days that they wandered around. So when you think about it, that had to be very, very frustrating. And, it, and that's the, the, the mindset that Moses was living in. Now, God allowed Moses to come look at the promised land. But he never allowed Moses to go into the promised land. So you, you wander around. You've had this bad thing. You've lost your family, some of your family, your dear family. You've wandered around with all these people, and then God allows you to go up and see where he wanted you to go, but he doesn't let you go in. How would you feel? Pretty bummed. Have you ever had times like that in your life? Have you ever had disappointments on the job? Thought you should have gotten a promotion? Conflict with somebody in your family just couldn't work out? Um, whiny kids? Um, whiny workmates, you know what, just name it. We've all had that. And that's what Moses was experiencing. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is that God promise us, promises us a lot of things. 
but he doesn't promise those things necessarily in our timeline. And in Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 39, a Hebrews writer says about these great men and women of faith that he's just given a list. He says, and all of these people, though commended through their faith, did not received, did not receive what was promised. So were they bitter? Maybe some of them were. I don't know. I mean, that's the same area where some people were sawed in two and, you know, all this kind of thing. Witnessing that stuff would be pretty overwhelming. But they didn't receive, but they were commended for their faith. And then he goes on to say, since God had provided something better. So let's go back to the topic of time. Time is something that on earth that God and we'll see this in Psalm 90, doesn't really relate to. Now, I don't mean to relate to in the sense he knows what it is. But he's not restricted by it. He's not confined with what we think about in time. You know, I, I when my kids and I would get, especially my two sons, would you know get a little dad-son thing going on. and uh, Not good thing. In other words, they were disagreeing with dad. Uh, and, and they would get, you know, the life is not fair you know, speech, that thing. So I said, uh, you know, and you try to get into this uplifting that, yeah, but you have a great life and think about it. And, uh, well, and they start, I said, well, you know, I don't know about you two, but I never had a choice and I didn't have any influence. I didn't call up mom and dad when I was in my mom's womb saying, I don't want to be born yet. <laughs> I want to be born 30 years from now when you guys are old. Because I don't want to deal with all this. And, you know, I, we didn't have that choice. Nobody has that choice. So you kind of got to go with what you're given. And um, so anyway, these people knew that they had something better. Did they know what that was? So we can talk about heaven and eternal life. But you know what that is? I have no clue. You know, even if you talk to somebody that saw the light when they almost died, still hard to explain, hard to describe. So anyway, but Moses could have wasted away in discouragement, but he accepted his lot in life. And uh, as you look at chapter 90 in Psalm, he says, first, it says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. In every facet, Moses was God's man. He was faithful. He was selected by God. He was respected by God. He was God's friend. What would God say about his relationship with you? Does he respect your faith? Is he is he honored to have you part of his family? And this is I, I'm not saying this to guilt out anybody. It's just a you know it's a it's a good question. To what would God say about my relationship? Because the thing about God is he's very gracious, he's very understanding, he's very forgiving. And so if I'm not where I need to be, he's not going to sit there and frown at me. He's going to help me to get to where I need to be. And he does that by pointing things out that I need to hear. In verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So all time, all the time that Moses had an awareness of, God has been with them. Our lives revolve around him even when we aren't thinking about him. He is thinking about us. And that is kind of like a parent. I never stop thinking about my kids. But I can tell you, they probably stopped thinking about me a time or two. So, verse 2, 
Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, uh, you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. Before time was even time, before time was created, God was there. And Moses is, he's, you know, you know how you, you, you talk to yourself? I, I, I think that's what some of what's going on with Moses right now. He's, he's talking to himself about this God that, yeah, I've been through the wilderness, and yeah, I lost this person in my life and everything, but God is beyond and above all of that. Verse 3, you return man to dust and say, returnal children of man. Time is, is our restriction, and it's not God's. Our lives end where they start. You know, from dust you come to dust you go. It, that, that's really it. You know, we don't know when, we got, when we're going to get here, and we don't know when we're going to leave. And so, therefore, he's saying God is above all that. He, he's not restricted to the time that you think about when you think of time. Verses 4 to 6, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep away, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. So time relates to created things, just like it is a created thing that we talked about just a second ago. So it really has, I, I won't say it doesn't have any relevance to God, but it doesn't have any restriction for God. And so it is relevant to us because we age and we, we feel the, the ever presence of time wearing on our body and gravity um, wearing on our body. But the relevance to us is much different than it is to him. And, and we need to understand that. And we, you know, we all know the verse, Second Peter, where it says, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The point is, or one point of that is, is he's not restricted by any of that. And what, he, what you think is a long time may be just to him. In verses 7 through 11, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days are pa- all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are they are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So time is is so finite and as we've talked about, but God is above all of that. And this talks a lot about his anger and his wrath and everything, but I I think one of the points that he's trying to make is that I see things that you don't see around you. I can view things, and I'm in control of that, and I can handle that. You don't need to be caught up and worried about that. I am the one who can make things happen. And where punishment needs to happen, I can handle it. Where I need to lift people up, I can make that happen. I'm above your concept of where you live and the time that you live in. And then verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The very point of today, or my point is, teach me to view time in perspective of eternity not in perspective of my life here. That is really what Moses is getting at. 
And he says, teach us the number of our days so that we can get wisdom. Wisdom takes me beyond the time, the restricted time that I live in. And then lastly, 13 to 17, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many days if we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servant and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. When we really regain or gain the perspective that time is eternal, or real time, it's not restricted as here, I believe that's when um, happiness, security, trust, all those things that are going to get us through every day, that is where we grasp those things. But if we're caught up in those things that I talked about at the beginning, about those lanes and everything, if that's where our minds are at, then we won't be able to to um, uh, have the security that we really are looking for. It's not going to come from my job. Right. You know, some security will come from my job, but the real security, the eternal security, of as I live my life here, will be found only when I grasp those things. Just to bring this to close on how to have an eternal mindset, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm not going to read through all this. We'll get started, and then we'll jump down. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down. You can go on and on and on. Down to verse 9. So what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can take taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Fear in the sense of honor, respect, uh, you know, bow down, our, that type of fear. But as I read this, I think about what is the fact that God has put eternity in my heart. So even though I live in this restrictive time here on earth, I have this thing put in my heart by God that can help me deal with the time that I'm spending here. And that's the fact that I have eternity, even though I can't fathom it. He says, I, I can't get it. But he says, what, what, what's the objective? He says, that each, may, each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction. God wants you in this time here to be satisfied. And that doesn't mean everything goes well all the time. But it does mean you could be satisfied. And he says, that is God's gift. And so as you think about your days this coming week, think about how satisfied and content are you. And if you're not, maybe you're looking at your time the wrong way. And maybe you need to spend some more time just sitting down and, and reflecting on that eternal seed of time 
that he has put in your heart and put things in that perspective. So as I mentioned earlier, I'm contemplating retirement. I love my job. That's part of the reason I'm still working. I not only love my job, I love the people I work with. They're big picture people. They're not, not whiners. They, they love coming to work. Um, they love accomplishing things. I'm also very respected at my job. I've earned that, and, I, and I've accomplished a lot, and I'm proud of that. So that's all good. But based on what Solomon just said, that's all good, but it's not eternal. But it is the gift of God. Because he puts that eternal seed inside of us. Uh, I wanted to share a little bit as, as we think about and close out with this is that as we think about our time here and how we're using it, um, this really hit me about two and a half years ago. And this is when, you know, Dave and his wife are, are close friends to my wife and I, and we've known each other since 1988. Uh, and we, we got separated for a while and we got back together uh, recently. And I was living that mundane Christian life. I, I was viewed, you know, pretty well at the church, and I was uh, respected and all that good stuff. Um, or at least I thought I was. Maybe I really wasn't, but I thought I was. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was just living. And a lot of it was because of the reason I talked about earlier about the hurt and, you know, the, the frustrations that I had with some of the way uh, people were leading. Uh, you know, we've all been through that stuff. So I had all that, and so I thought, okay, I'm just going to live the safe Christian life. I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to excel at work. I'm going to do all this. And that changed uh, for two reasons. One was my wife. Uh, she is uh, a passionate person. And uh, she became very passionate about a nonprofit that emerged out of Springfield, Missouri. It's called Eden Village. Eden Village is a tiny home community for the homeless, the chronically homeless. And it had been very successful in Springfield. A, a couple, a retired couple had started this several years ago, and it had just done really well. And, you know, when you think of homelessness, um, it, it's got a very negative connotation. And there are people that choose to be homeless. Okay, so that's that's just a fact. We, we all make bad choices from time to time. I don't think that's a good choice. If it's a choice, there are a lot of people homeless because they didn't have a choice. And the, the, the focus, the, the resident focus of this is for someone who's chronically homeless, but they have to pay their way. And so the mentally and physically handicapped homeless folks typically have a government check. And with that check, they pay rent to live there. So it's not just a handout. It's something that you come and you've got to do two things. You have to financially support yourself here, but you also have to be a good neighbor. And the whole concept is we're going to build a community and it's going to be, you're going to be neighborly and you're going to look out for each other and you're going to take care of each other. And we have a community center that we're going to build and we'll bring services to you. You know, everything from basic medical to mental health, all that we bring to there. Because what happens, and my daughter-in-law is a, a nurse, and she worked at a place that exactly what happened with her is that she said, I would have eight appointments. And it was all the, the who they served were, were 
a lot of people were homeless. They were people that didn't have money, so they had federal money that they could come spend on their medical health. So she said, I'd have eight appointments, and I'd get there, and two would show up. Well, why don't they show up? Well, I missed the bus. I overslept. Decided I didn't want to go. I got scared. You know, whatever the reasons were. So if you bring the services to them, then you can make sure that the government's money is spent well, which is, by the way, your money. It's spent well. It's spent where it's supposed to be spent, and it's improving those people's lives. And so that really um, ignited a, a bug in both, well, she already had it, in me, to say there's got to be more we can do. That's where Dave and his wife Peggy come in. We got together, and he started sharing. Uh, we go to different churches, and he started sharing some of the things that they've been doing. Uh, one of them was racial, uh, focus on racial unity in Kansas City amongst the churches of Christ. Um, and that had been going on three years, I think, about. So I got involved in that. Uh, listen to, there was a seminar uh, last year that was really good. Uh, and it was from scholars. These, these gentlemen were scholars at the universities that they taught at. And one was a, the two that I listened to, one was a, was a, um, a professor that was a, a scholar on what we know as the restoration movement. So if you're familiar with Churches of Christ and our history, the restoration movement was a unity movement back in the early 1800s. And that's how we exist today is because of those roots. Uh, that's where our churches came from originally. So that was really interesting. I like history. The other guy was the resident expert in Churches of Christ on black history in the Churches of Christ. And you talk, you talk about humbling and sobering to see how racism still, right? But in the church, we think church, everything's fixed, right? We all became Christians and all that stuff went away and everybody's, well, we want it to be. But it's not fixed. And so it was, it was really moving to me and, and to listen for this, to this guy probably for two hours and go through the history. Um, so that then led to Dave and our families getting together. And I don't know, some of you may be familiar with an organization called Common Grounds. Common Grounds started out west uh, from a, a, uh, some folks within our churches reaching out to Churches of Christ, other churches, and saying, We've got to have things in common. And so we decided to start a, I guess you can call it a chapter or whatever, in Kansas City. And so then you start getting into this, okay, well, we're not going to unite all our churches. I mean, that's not practical. So what are we going to do? And so what we decided to focus on is serving the community together. And so things like this Eden Village and all other, these nonprofits that are already out there that need people to go serve and, and meet the needs of other people is something that we decided to do and we've been doing for the last I don't know, eight months, nine months. The point of all that is I decided that I'm going to use my time. And it took a long time for me to get there. But I decided that's what I'm going to do before I retire. So that when I retire, I have my list. <laughs> already made anyway just to close out there's a there was a great evangelist preacher named Jonathan Edwards he was a revivalist preacher uh, back in the mid 1700s he was also a philosopher and a theologian and 
that was right during the first great awakening, if you're familiar with that history. But early in his life, he was a late teenager, he developed 70, 70 resolutions that he reviewed every week. That's challenging in and of itself. So, But three of them that I thought were per, very pertinent to the concept of how we use our time. Number is number five in his list. He says, I'm resolved never to lose one moment of time but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number six, I resolve to live with all my might while I live. 100% effort every day. Number seven, I am resolved that I will live life so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. You know, it's old English, a little hard. So in other words, no regrets. Live with no regrets. But probably the quote that he's known the most for, uh, this was not one of those 70 resolutions, but he says, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And I'd like to just leave that with us today is let's live every day with eternity stamped on our eyeballs. So even when you close those eyelids, you still see, you know, you see those floaties going around, but you see, you see eternity. Stamp it right there. So anyway, thank you very much. I'm sorry I went long, but I appreciate your time. Thank you so 